Prince Andrew. He's the pedophile. He's the and that's the third born. Do they explore his pedophilia in the show? A little bit. Wow. I think I, intentionally. That's crazy. Anyway, okay. That's a nice way to open the podcast. Do they explore your pedophilia in the show? He must feel so exposed. But the royal fam. The show really is intriguing because it shows these different characters in the royal family who you have sympathies for, but at the same time, you just see this family cover up situation over situation. And many times, unfortunately, um, at the cost of someone else, all to remain just pure. Stately. Yep. And what show are we talking about today? We have Allie with us, if you can tell. And um, if you haven't gathered, we'll be talking about The Crown. Season four, in particular. As Allie was sort of just alluding to, a lot of people question the royal family and whether it's still necessary today. Uh, there's so many questions that can come from that. And usually what people end up saying is, well, they're, they're extremely popular and there's a good chance they won't ever be out because of how popular they are amongst... Pop culture. <laughs> Well, no, the inhabitants of the UK. One thing they do face is it becomes progressively harder as the culture becomes more progressive to justify a monarchy that is based on genetics, essentially. So you're born into it. Yeah. Which was actually something you asked earlier. You were asking, like, if the queen dies, you know, does Charles become king? Yeah. And all of that. I was asking if you think he's frustrated that his mother is still alive after all these years. I feel like that's kind of the running joke, because even in the show, you see this tension between the queen and Charles. And there's even one part in one of the seasons where it's kind of established, whether it was said by the queen or someone else, that when she looks at Charles, it's essentially her death sentence because he ascends to the throne as soon as she dies. So there's this kind of dark aspect to their relationship in terms of he's her death sentence. Does she hold tightly onto her power in that sense then? I think the show does hint at that. She's not like a a tyrant by any means. She has a lot of wonderful qualities uh, for sure. She remains very steadfast and unemotional in certain ways, which I think serves her well, but it also is to the detriment of her relationship, specifically to Charles, her son, who it shows that they don't really have a very nurturing, great relationship. That's kind of the running joke is like the queen's going to live forever. So Charles can't become king because he's already, I think, in his 70s and she's in her 90s. Her, Philip, the queen's husband, is 99 right now. Wow. He's still alive as well. And then William, who is Charles's son, he's in his late 30s. So my prediction is he'll have a long reign. He's very likable and has a higher crowd rating than his dad. Charles is kind of lower in terms of his public score is higher. Yeah, he has yeah lower approval. Is William the one that married Kate? Yeah. Kate Middleton. Prince Charles, who should be king, is like sixth in his approval rating behind both of his sons, which is Ouch. pretty funny. Anyway, let's talk about this season. So season four. Of season the four of The Crown starts in the late 70s and goes through the 80s and follows the same exact mechanics as the earlier seasons and that it spans almost a decade or over a decade and uh, tackles a lot of actual events 
that transpired, the more notable historical ones, as accurately as it tries to be. So some of these episodes take place over a long amount of time. Yes. Some of the episodes take place even over the whole decade, but that is more dependent upon what characters we're following in that specific episode. For example, episode five in season four followed, I think his name is Mike Fagan or Michael Fagan. And the whole episode took place in the middle of the war that they were in, Margaret Thatcher was spearheading this war, and it caused a lot of unemployment in the UK at the time. And this guy who was down and out ended up breaking into Buckingham Palace, into the Queen's room, because he wanted an audience with the Queen to While she talk was in there? Yeah, while she was asleep. Pretty interesting. It was probably one of the more interesting episodes of the season, I think. Did he get his audience? Yeah, it was a fantastic episode. Very, very intriguing. And it was a nice break from the rhythm of this season, which mainly followed the Princess Diana Charles relationship. And Charles, hopefully you would know from history, was constantly having an affair with who he would consider his love of his life, Camilla. And so this season is the first season of The Crown where it's extremely Charles heavy. He's a little bit older here. He's about 30 plus in this season. He's supposed to be. And it really, really dives deep into Diana and who she was when she was younger. Because I think they meet when she was 17. And them in the early stages of their relationship. And her having to get accustomed to being a part of this insane family that is the royal family. And um, all of the quirks that that family has. Yeah, you were telling me earlier last week about how this family and Diana gets to find this out firsthand, just how dysfunctional they are. Yeah. With their relationships to each other and how they love or the lack of love they are able to (laughs) show to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Margaret, who is the Queen's sister, is played by Helena Bonham Carter in these two seasons of The Crown. And she historically had been in love a few times and wanted to get married. And the Queen, who essentially has ultimate sway in their life as far as being able to tell them who they can marry and who they can't marry or who they should marry and who they shouldn't kind of to keep up the appearances in the family told Margaret no and she was devastated and ended up marrying a guy that ended up you know cheating on her and left her really dissatisfied and so she recognizing the same kind of situation that she was in with Charles and Diana kind of begged the queen during one of the episodes to stop the madness and we could we can end this frustration and stop repeating the same mistakes over and over again by not allowing the people in our family to marry the people they actually love really interesting it's interesting too because I know we didn't want to go back to previous seasons, but it is important to say that I think part of why there is such a firmness, not only from the crown, the queen herself, but also uh, those who serve to protect it in terms of her press, her personal secretaries, all of those different roles. A lot of it is in reference to the abdication of the former king. So Queen Elizabeth, her father was actually not supposed to be king. Her uncle was supposed to be king. His name was David and he was the firstborn, but he was so in love with a woman he wanted to marry, but because of the church, he could not marry her because she was a divorced woman. So as a divorcee, he could not remain king and head of the church 
and still marry her. So he stepped down from the throne to marry her. And therefore, his younger brother was forced into the role. And he had already had Elizabeth by then. And so at a very young age, probably six or seven years old, she was then told, oh, you're going to be the next queen. And that was the current queen's father was George VI is the same one that Colin Firth played in the King's Speech. So there's a lot of resentment you see from various characters in the show about the abdication. It's referred to constantly throughout the seasons. You know, do not make this mistake. Look at David. Look at David. All these different things. Um, But what's interesting about David is he remained married to his wife until his death. I mean, they were very much in love into their late, late years. And so you see that contrast from the dysfunctionality of relationships that are forced, the most prominent one being Charles and Diana, their age chasm obviously being one of them, but more so than age, their personalities. His sister at one point says they're, you know, from completely different planets. And it's heartbreaking to see the eroding of their relationship, but more so Diana as a character and as a person. I mean, this is really what she went through in terms of you see her struggling with bulimia throughout the season, which is really heartbreaking to see and how it really is a symptom of her marriage and how much she was put into the spotlight. You see the media just absolutely go crazy over her the world was in love with her but her own husband wasn't which was really interesting that contrast obviously there's a lot to say about this show and how it portrays the royal family and it tries to be 100 percent accurate but i think it also takes some liberties so it's hard to speak to the actual events that transpired versus the show with that being said there are a lot of accuracies and then it takes a lot of i would say healthy liberty when it comes to portraying some of these true events it might embellish some of the actual events but only to bring out i think uh, actual emotion that probably was occurring during those events if that makes sense the drama yeah and so with diana she was greatly loved by everyone because the royal family really up to that point was kind of especially to the public known as being sort of cold and distant and that's mainly following the queen and who she was and who she continues to be and this hasn't been said yet but it's because of a choice really that she continues to make that and also i mean she at once said in the show in one of the past seasons that she thinks that she has a problem like she thinks that she doesn't know how to show emotion and that there's something wrong with her but she continues to be unbiased and cold and uncaring and she is kind when she chooses to be and it is very selective who she shows that kindness upon but when diana who is this young impressionable girl who thinks that she's just caught up in this fairy tale gets brought into this family and this dynamic where the queen's son is already in love with this other woman it's just this whiplash kind of um roller coaster of a ride for diana and the things that she starts to experience but the public kind of views her as one of the more relatable people that is in the family because of her kind of raw sensitivity. Like she'll go into the public or go to an orphanage and hug the orphans and or hug the sick. And the Crown family Windsor that exists in the Crown, they don't do anything really like that. They kind of just hang in their mansions and spend the money and explore. They do represent the Crown to foreign countries, but they never really show at least up to the point of Diana, when Diana entered the game, they never really showed that kind of raw, genuine 
compassion toward humanity in the way that Diana did. I think that's why people really related to Diana and loved her and really were devastated when she ended up passing. Yeah, she says in an interview, a real interview, that she doesn't view herself as a political figure, but a humanitarian figure and will always remain to be so. But I was just going to say, I think the relationship between Charles and Diana, which is very focal in this season, plays into the broader theme that runs throughout the entire show of just this distance in relationships and almost like a stubbornness that runs throughout all the relationships as well. So you don't see like really any wholesome truly healthy functioning relationship i think that philip and the queen get to a place where they work well but i don't know if it's necessarily healthy you know what i mean or out of genuine affection i they do love each other philip and elizabeth i think it's just a different type of relationship i guess last thing i was going to say about diana is she for me and i think a lot of people would agree was kind of the heartbeat of this season. Um, she was played by Emma Corrin and she did a remarkable job even watching, you know, real life interviews afterwards. The way she speaks, her tone, everything was just so, so perfect. And the actor who played Charles did a, an amazing job too. And she was just such a fiery contrast to the coldness that Steven was mentioning. So mm. you really do fall in intrigue with all of these characters. Like you don't hate them. You're just, they just have a family culture, right? Like any family has. They have a very specific family culture. They don't really hug. It's just a colder dynamic. Diana comes in and she just brings, yeah, this fiery warmth and she doesn't understand why there isn't love. And there's this scene where she's with the queen and she goes to hug the queen and the queen's just standing there with her <laughs> arms, you know, like a penguin, like not knowing what to do. And Diana just wants to feel loved. She says, that's what anyone wants from you is just to feel loved. And that's what I think she brings to the show, but obviously to the actual story as well. And I think that's why people fell in love with her because of that genuineness and that rawness. Yeah. And in an interview with Princess Diana's brother, Charles, he just commented recently on this last season of The Crown. And uh, one of the things he said was he kind of feels a need to defend her. He said, quote, I find Americans tell me they have watched The Crown as if they have taken a history lesson. Well, they haven't, unquote. And that is to say that there's a lot of conjecture, I think, in The Crown. And even though it's, it's based off of historically accurate events, he says the stuff in between isn't historically accurate or isn't as historically accurate as it could be. So, you know, you have to take all this stuff with a grain of salt and remember that you are watching a show that is meant to evoke emotion and be laid out in such a way that, you know, kind of ties these stories and these points of the story together. But anyway, this was a really good season of television, just as good as any other season. Is this the first time we see Margaret Thatcher in the show? Yes. Margaret Thatcher was great, played by Gillian Anderson, who's one of my all-time favorites. I have a tattoo dedicated to her on my arm. Scully. Yeah, because I'm a huge X-Files fan. And she played Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, who was the first female 
woman prime minister, head of the conservative party. And she was also at that point, I mean, for a long time, I think she held office for, I think, 11 years. And that was the longest time anyone had held office as prime minister for a very, very long time. And she accomplished a lot in that time. And anyway, Julian Anderson played her so well. She did such a good job. And she played like over her age. So she had makeup and hair updone and she did a different sort of accent to mirror Margaret Thatcher's speech and she just knocked it out of the park. Couldn't say enough good things. And also there are a lot of really cool tender moments where you see Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, kind of have these moments of weakness, which she wasn't really known for. And so to see those on screen being played by Gillian Anderson, they were incredible scenes of television. And yeah, this whole season took place in episode one with her coming into the office and then spoilers here but the season ends with her being done in her run of being the prime minister and so we're done with the 80s really cool way not necessarily in some past seasons when the next season starts it kind of sometimes goes back a little bit in time and dips like i said the the timelines are very wishy-washy because usually an episode is meant to tell a specific story and it does a very specific thing and so sometimes it goes back in time a little bit and sets up what's going to occur anyway fantastic season of television and this is also then the last time we'll see olivia coleman as the queen uh yeah will it be sad to say goodbye she's also one of the greatest actresses i think that she's an amazing actress but i think i was a little bit more attached to claire foy as queen i mean they're both fantastic and i think they both did a great job but i definitely am more partial to claire foy she plays the younger queen so i think you just kind of fall in love with her story and how she becomes queen and the difficulties that she goes through a lot of sympathies for her and kind of you just see how her character molds to the crown in a really interesting way and how she's forced to kind of die to elizabeth herself and become elizabeth the queen and so i don't know i just thought claire foy did such a great job in showing that transformation and i don't know my heart just goes to her performance a little bit more than olivia coleman yeah and i liked seasons three and four more i thought the pacing was a lot better and some of the stories were better i mean it's all actual history but i liked claire foy more as well and i also liked matt smith more than tobias menzies in the seasons even though tobias did a great job and olivia coleman did a great job honestly they're fantastic um I liked Matt Smith and Claire Foy more, personally, but I liked these seasons more. And similarly, I'm also excited to see Dolores Umbridge put the crown on. Imelda Staunton. I think she's a great actress. I'm excited to see Jonathan Price because he's, I think he'll be the next Philip. He's pretty good. I feel like he could be the natural evolution of those two guys. So Gabe, when are you going to watch The Crown? I don't know. Having just watched the trailer, it looks really good. So I might check it out. Both Allie and I think you would really like it. And honestly, being a fan of slow, really good tone. Big tone? Really good score, by the way. The music in this show is amazing. It just takes everything, up, even with the production design, up to another level. But we think you'd like it, Gabe. I'll have to check it out. You going to watch this tonight? No. <laughs> so that's The Crown Season 4. Go right now. Long live the queen. Stop, stop what you're doing and go watch it. It is that good, I, I, I should say. Do you think they'll keep making... The crown until they run up to our present day. Oh, I do know the answer to that question. They're wow. going to do two more seasons. Originally, they were going to do... Six seasons and a movie? Nope. Just six seasons. Oh. Up until 
people are estimating probably 2002 when Margaret dies, uh, the queen's sister, and the queen mother died in the same year, in 2002. So people think it's going to end there at the end of season six because the showrunner, Peter Morgan, the creator of the show, has said because this show is based off of actual and true events, he thinks to actually have a good analysis of history to be able to actually see what's going to stick and what's not going to stick as far as historical events go, he thinks there should at least be 20 years in between. So he sort of refuses to do anything that is current. So we probably won't get seasons that take place between the mid-2000s to whenever the Queen passes, whenever that will be or something. But I could imagine if Peter Morgan lives and Netflix is still a thing in 20 years from now, we might get season seven and eight of The Crown. That'd be really cool. That's awesome. All right. Well, this has been another episode of The Crown. Cult Popcast. Cult Popcast. Thanks, Allie, for being with us here today. We hope that you join us in the future (laughs) for another episode. Of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>